We're going to continue on in a series that we're doing called Go Eat Popcorn. And you might think that's a, a strange title, but it's to remember the four letters that we're looking at in the Bible, the four books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. And I thought that Go Eat Popcorn was better than Gentiles Eat Pork Chops. So, because I thought maybe I would offend somebody and I didn't want to do that. Galatians Eat Popcorn. These four letters or books are filled with foundational truths that we need to understand in order to really experience the full and abundant life that Jesus has come for us to have. So we're working through these ideas together and we're going to continue to do that. Today we're going to hop into Galatians chapter 3. I want to talk about law and grace and how they apply. So that is going to be interesting and I'm looking forward to doing that with you. That's the intro. Transition, always a bad joke or two. I tried to go on a diet but stopped after seven days. I guess it was a weak effort. All right, now this is my favorite. Listen, this is getting mixed reviews. Apparently I'm the only one that likes it. An ancient Greek playwright was suffering writer's block. He kept scribbling down lines and then tearing up the pages. Picking up the torn pages, his friend asked, Why, Euripides? <laughs> Euripides. That's going on a coffee mug. Get ready. Oh, and listen, don't accept a friend request from Lizzie Borden. You will get hacked. Right on the edge, right? She looked at me earlier, last sermon. She goes, I'm not sure if that's going to be okay, but... Scripture reading. Galatians 3, 15 through 29. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it uh, no longer depends on a promise, but God in His grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. The mediator, however, does not represent just one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But the scripture declares that the whole world is a prisoner of sin, so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. You are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Blessed be the word of the Lord. The, the verse I want to really uh, check into with you today is verse 24. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified 
by faith. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under the supervision of the law. So let's hop right in with this first point, which is justified by faith. Point number one, justified by faith. Now, the whole point of justification is to remind you every day that you have a secure foundation upon which to stand. So let's talk about this. And if you've come here for any length of time, you've heard me talk about justification because that's one of the things and concepts that I really want you to know. There's three that I talk about all the time in this vein. It's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now, all of these relate to our salvation. And we've talked about in this series already the idea of holding on to things in tension and that the kingdom is here but not fully here. So, salvation, with regards to salvation, you need to know this, is that you, you are saved and you're being saved and you will be saved in Christ. And what happens is when you come and you give your life to Jesus and you, you pray that He would be your Lord and Savior, at that moment you are justified. You are saved. The way I like to remember justification, it's just as if I'd never sinned. What God is choosing to do is to see us at that moment in the perfection of His Son. We are completely justified before Him. We're in complete relationship with Him because He sees us in the perfection of His Son. It's an amazing thing. We are justified, just as if we'd never sinned. Almost hard to comprehend. So we are saved. Now, when we're honest, we realize that, that it's great that He's seeing us that way, but we still know that we've got some work to do. Hopefully everybody here knows that, that, that you realize you are not at that perfected place in, in the way that you're walking this out. So when we come and give our lives to Jesus, we're justified. One of the things that happen is that we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then comes and He leads us and He instructs us and He teaches us and He guides us. And as we yield to Him, He moves us through the process of sanctification. So we are saved, but we're being saved in that respect. Okay, we are, we're settled, but we're being saved, we're being sanctified. We're being changed over the course of time as we yield to the Holy Spirit. And this goes on throughout our entire lives here until a point when either Jesus has come back for us or we've gone to be with Him. And at that point, we're glorified. We will be saved. So we are saved, we're being saved, we will be saved. We hold all those three things in tension because of the kingdom dynamic. But you need to know today that you're justified by faith. You couldn't earn it. You couldn't work for it. It was all about His love for us that makes that possible. You need to know that salvation is not something that you can earn or work for. And Paul is trying to make that point. I remember very early on in uh, my walk with Jesus, maybe six weeks in, uh, Alice and I were invited to this um, overnight camping trip with a bunch of believers from here. And it was actually this church uh, I wasn't the pastor then, obviously, not six weeks in. And uh, good thing for everybody. And I didn't know, all, I've told you my story, I didn't know a lot of this stuff. And they, they were going camp, and I was like, well, I guess that's what we do, I guess. Okay, let's go, we'll go camp and whatever. And uh, go to an island with no electricity? Yeah, okay, but we'll go. So we could go to the Holiday Inn or something, but no. <laughs> we go to this island. It's very cool. Now, it, it was an island here in the Keys. It was very cool. It was a cool evening, and um, it was perfectly clear. You could see just start. You know how sometimes it, you just, the, the more you look, the more... St- and we had a, like a bonfire going, and we were sitting around, and we were praying, and we were talking, and we were singing, and we began to sing Amazing Grace. And something happened in, in that song that, uh, that I was sitting there, and all of a sudden I realized His love for me. 
And, and this wave of that love for me came over me. And I, all I could think of was how I didn't earn it and I didn't deserve it and I wasn't worthy of it. And I was such a wretched person. I really was. And the stuff had come out. I mean, I can't believe this is happening. And, and my, I had a very hardened heart. It, it, God began the process of doing heart surgery then. It began to soften and I broke and I just began to weep. And it wasn't the nice, tidy little tears that, you know, mm-hmm. it was the full-on, absolutely no control over, snot running everywhere, <laughs> people moving away from me because they weren't sure what was going to happen next. Even my wife was kind of like, is this going to happen forever? What? What's going on here? Just lost it. And it took a long time. It was just these waves would come and the realization of what he'd done and who I was. And see, and, and that's what happens. That's who he is. That's this life that we have. I, I hadn't done and still have never done anything to earn that. It was just there, freely given because of his love for us. And see, that's what this whole thing is all about. And Paul wants to make sure that we understand it. You, you can't earn it. Titus 2.11, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. This grace, is, it's charis, it's unmerited favor. It just appeared. We didn't do anything to get it to show up. The grace of God appeared. And now the opportunity for everyone is there to be saved, to come into relationship with Jesus. We just sort of sign up. I'm in, Jesus. And... and that's how this whole deal works. And that's what he wants out of us. We, that's all he wants is us to respond. We can't earn it. We can't do anything for it. Paul says very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. He makes it very clear. Now, where this begins to break down, and this has happened throughout... Scripture, we'll read all about how this happens, is we initially get that it's all by grace, that we couldn't have earned it, we couldn't have done anything for it, but then all of a sudden we start thinking like we have to do something to maintain it. And we start adding little rules and works. We've talked about that. This was very true even in the first century. So we read about the Pharisees uh, in the thing and we'll think, oh, they weren't good people at all because, you know, they were trying to work their way into heaven. When the reality is they really weren't trying to work their way into heaven. They were doing the works they thought they needed to do to maintain being justified. See, they understood that salvation was by grace. Their whole thinking was this. If you, if you were to talk to someone in the first century, a Pharisee, he would tell you, oh no, salvation is a future thing by grace. They said, because you need to know that our story is the Exodus story. That, that we were in captivity, we were in the bondage, we were in slavery in Egypt, and God just showed up and He delivered us from that. It wasn't anything we did. He just showed up and He rescued us and He took us through the Red Sea and He took us into a place and He fed us and He took care of us. And after all that had happened, after He'd done all those things, then He gave them the law. He didn't do the law and then do all those things. It was the other way around. And they get it and they say, well, Grace, it's a, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a future deal, this salvation. But what we need to do is in order to stay in his standing, we need to do these works in order to, to try and keep ourselves justified so that when the time comes, we're going to make it. And so that's what they were doing. And they had three big things that when you read the scripture, you can see were huge to them. Circumcision was a huge deal. The Sabbath and table fellowship. And, and it's why they were always on Jesus. Remember about the Sabbath? They didn't like the way he did Sabbath at all. They're like, you're not keeping your justification, dude. You're not going to make it. Because you, you keep, you know, changing the rules and doing all these things we're not supposed to do. And then table fellowship, they couldn't handle the people that he would eat dinner with. What are you doing, Jesus? You can't eat with these people. We're not allowed to eat with these people. It's going to make us look like, you know, we're missing the whole deal. And Jesus didn't care because he knew 
what the real deal was with the whole process. And see, we understand, we need to understand that we can't earn our thing and we don't have to earn it. We get in by grace and, and we stay in that way. It's not about what we go and what we do. And so what the New Testament tells us, and I described it earlier, that that future justification that they thought was going to happen has actually happened already in Christ. When Christ came the first time, when he broke through and the kingdom was inaugurated, justification came with that. So not only are we saved by grace, we're justified by faith, and it's happened now in this present age. And so we need to hang on to that tension. We cannot work for it. We cannot earn it. We don't start trying to add things to the cross. We just understand that we're living this thing out for him, and it's an amazing amazing process. And, and see if you can get this. So you can't get in by works. So you can't get in by the things that you do do. So you can't get out by the things that you don't do. And you, you need to hang on to that tension. So what is our response then? What is, how do we respond? Because it's hard for people. Titus goes on, 2.11 through 14. Let me pick it back up in 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It's appeared, but then listen to what he says. It teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives when? In this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. So here's what, grace meets you where you are, but it doesn't let you stay that way. Grace is a two-sided thing. See, people think that grace just means, oh, I'm saved. Well, by grace, I didn't do anything, so I can just do whatever I want. No, you haven't figured it out. You haven't got it yet. It means then that what you have as you've come to Jesus is now you have the Holy Spirit in you, and as you yield to him, he's going to help you in this present age leave, live godly lives, lives that please him. You're not trying to earn anything. You're living in response to what he has already done, and we need to hang on to that. So in this present age, we should be seeing changes in our lives, that sanctification. Now let's make the last tie-in. Point number three, between the law and grace. And this is a big topic in the church. A lot of division happens here. Let's see if we can sort of help understand a little. Paul says something in Romans six fourteen: For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. And what Paul is saying in this context is we're not under law with respect to justification. Because how are we made right with God? It's not by the law. It's by God's grace and God's favor. But what happens is this. Sometimes people think that the Old Testament um, is all about law and the New Testament is all about grace. And because we're not under law, that means that we don't need to think or even worry about at all the Old Testament and what it means. We're New Testament people. Maybe you've heard that. The problem is, if you toss out the Old Testament in this life, you miss the glory of the redemptive story of what Jesus has been doing all along. See, this whole book, you, I tell you all the time about Jesus, what, that this is his story. We, we struggle because we get in the center, but this is his story. This book is all about Jesus from cover to cover, from the very beginning to the very end. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things have been made that have been made. It's all about Jesus from cover to cover. And we need to get a hold of that and understand it. But this idea that we get stuck in is this law and grace and the justification and how does that all fit in and what's going on in the process. So you don't want to dismiss 
the Old Testament at all. Because even in the Old Testament, people were justified by faith. It's the same as it is in the New Testament. No one is ever justified by the works of the law. Adam, Abel, Enoch, justification by the grace of God. Grace, uh, Genesis 15, 6. Abram, he's the one who was in our scripture. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. 400, over 400 years before the law was ever given, Abraham was justified. Not by law, but by God's mercy and grace. True in the Old Testament, true in the New Testament. It's never changed. The Old Testament and the New Testament are bound together. Remember when Jesus was asked, what's it all about? Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, your strength. Love your neighbors, yourself. That's an Old Testament concept. It's all put together. And so if we can understand that God's plan has always been that we would be justified by faith, it allows us to see then what the law was really for. And what the law was for is that we would, it would always help us to know that we will never be justified by the things that we do and that we can't maintain the law in our own strength. So we have to have someone accomplish those things for us because the standards of the law of perfection no man could attain except for one, the divine man, Jesus Christ. He did it. He fulfilled it. He's earned our salvation for us, something we could never do in ourselves. So we need to hold those things in tension so that we don't have to dismiss the Old Testament because there's so much good stuff in here that you need to be reading. So many of all that's law. No, it's filled with life. Let me give you an example. Uh, We're going to show you a painting. Let's see if we can do this and make it work. There's the painting I wanted you to see. Okay, so... um, most of you know that painting, right? It's, uh, it's The Last Supper by Da Vinci. There's a famous joke that goes with that painting. You know, Jesus said, Hey, all you guys that want to get in the picture, get on this side of the table. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. <laughs> and let me say something here as well, because people look into that and they start talking about all sorts of things. Um, the painting was done in 1495 or 7. Da Vinci was not at The Last Supper. Let's just clarify that. I've had people start to argue with me about stuff, and they're like, he wasn't there, you know. <laughs> but I don't do it, you know, in an arrogant way. We talked about that last week. What's fascinating about this painting, I want to talk about The Last Supper too. This painting, everything in this painting is pointing to Jesus. It's an amazing work of art that it happens. And if I can show you that the lines are pointing to Jesus, that everything here points to Jesus. Like the tapestries... If you follow them down, they point to Jesus on both sides of the room. Do you see how cool that is? Right to Jesus. All of the lines in the ceiling, in the roof, they all point right to Jesus. Every single thing, every single line, sorry it's not very straight, point to Jesus. Now it looks like I just cracked the glass. And it's Super Bowl week and I want to start drawing some plays and this guy's going to go long and deep over here. (laughs) Jesus is going to come around, he's going to pass the ball. Look, when you... <laughs> I don't know why I did that. I'm sorry. When you... Um, I only bring you that because when you read the Scripture, I want you to do the same thing. Everything in here is pointing to Jesus. Look for Jesus in it. So let's talk about the Last Supper. You all know the Last Supper. Can you change that screen? So... Because um, we do it all the time. It reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus. But if you hold it in context with some Old Testament stuff... It's even more amazing. So let's go back to just before the fall, Genesis 3, 6. 
and here's what's happening. Remember, they're being tempted. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. They're both there. Eve, first Adam, they do it. This, this is the fall. This is the beginning of sin. Everything that comes in life that's hurtful and shameful and hard, all the suffering of humanity, the tears, the bloodshed, all the sickness, all the illness, the cruelty, everything comes from this simple beginning. She took, she ate, she gave. Those verbs describe the beginning of the fall. And that's what happens to the first Adam. We fall into sin and the consequence then is demonstrated throughout the Old Testament running up into the arrival of Jesus, and it continues on from there. But when we get to the New Testament, and we have the Last Supper, Jesus is the new Adam. That's what Paul calls him. Look what happens. Matthew 26, 26. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, said, Take and eat. This is my body. Takes the bread, blesses it, breaks it. This is my body broken for you. Take, eat, and he gives it to them. Do you see what he's doing? The echo from the Old Testament to the New Testament is profound. Take eat, give. Look, it's redemptive. And it's, it's so amazing that he's taking what happened and he's restoring it by doing the exact same thing, only, only for good. The way we fell into sin is the way he restores us. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So in Adam I'll die, in Christ what? All will be made alive. What Jesus is doing is beautiful. He's correcting everything that happened that was hurtful in Adam and he's beginning to set it right. And that's what he does. And it's in the book, but we miss it all the time because we're not reading it, looking for what he's doing. Let me give you another thing that happens. Another sort of Last Supper thing. So if you continued on in Genesis 3.6 and you moved to Genesis 3.7, she took, gave, ate. Look what it says next. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Their eyes were opened. They realized they had sinned and they were just covered up immediately in sin and shame. It just fell on them. That's what happened right there at the fall. It overwhelms them. Well, now there's another experience that happens in the New Testament. It's in Luke 24. And this is after the resurrection. And you probably read the story. So two of his disciples were on the way to Emmaus. And Jesus, after the resurrection, joins them on this journey. And they don't recognize him. And he begins to talk with them. And he tells them all sorts of things from the Old Testament. Fascinating story about who Jesus really is. And they get to a house. And it's dinner time. And they say, would you have dinner with us? And he says, sure. And they still haven't recognized him. But look what happens. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, gave it to him, and then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. He takes, he gives, they eat, and their eyes were opened, they recognized Jesus, and they knew the one who takes away guilt and shame. You see the amazing connection that happens, the redemptive story that's taking place throughout the Bible from beginning to end, and you have to read it as one big story, his story, so that you never miss what's going on. And it's like that from cover to cover. So don't dismiss the Old Testament. When you read it, look for Jesus. It's all about him. And you'll see what's taking place. And how amazing and magnificent is a God who's involved in those kind of details. 
we've talked about coincidence here. There's no such thing. God is just intimately involved in everything and He always has been. And He's weaving His way. He's weaving us into this story. And it's, it's amazing. So see it and embrace it and know the love of God that changes everything because that's where we find life. Amen? Ministry team, those of you here, why don't you head over the wall? People in the way over there are here to pray for you. If you need prayer for anything, they'll make sure you get it. Let me pray for you as a group, and we can have breakfast and dismiss. It's a little sunny out there. Maybe some of you will go fishing. Papa, thank you for your love for us. You're such an awesome God. Thank you for this life that you give us. God, have your way in us. Thank you for the story. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to change us, to live lives for you. And God, as we continue to yield to your spirit and as he changes us, let it not only change us, but let it impact the world around us for you. Bring renewal, revival, and breakthrough this area. There are hundreds and thousands of people who come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We pray again for every church in this area where your word is preached. Ask that you would bless them abundantly with everything they need to fulfill the mission you've given them. We ask for your continued abundant blessing on us, God, to fulfill the mission you've given us of one more. Just one more lost child back to you, Dad. Just one more. Thank you for including us in your story in this time and place. You're such an awesome God. If you need prayer this morning for anything, the folks over there pray for you. Healing, relationships, problems, finances, situations, whatever you got. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let's take care of that today as well. It's a matter of humility and faith. In humility, it's just admitting to God you're broken like all the rest of us here. You've sinned. Asking Him to forgive you what you'll do and then in faith, inviting and accepting Jesus into your heart and life as Lord and Savior. If you have never prayed a prayer like that, do it now. Best decision you will ever make in your life. If you need help, just go and ask somebody. Say, I want to know Jesus. They'll know what you mean. They'll help you. So if you need prayer for that or for anything, I'd encourage you to get it. If you're going to stay and have breakfast, Lord, thank you for the food you provided. Bless that. Everybody makes it possible. Draw people in for the 11 o'clock service so they can hear about your love for them as well. You're so amazing, God. Praise God from whom. and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace and go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. God bless you all. Thanks for being here. We'll see you soon. Remember, we thank you for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. Prayers over there. Breakfast will be in the back. As you go, drive safely. Be very kind to one another in the parking lot, yielding to one another. If you get out fishing, catch some fish.